Welcome back to episode 18 of Anime Deep Dive, the podcast that does in-depth reviews of different anime series. Due to the extent which plot points will be discussed, a spoiler warning will now be in effect. This is a spoiler review, so if you haven't seen a series and are only looking for a recommendation, there will be a timestamp in the episode description you can skip to called Final Thoughts. This section will be spoiler-free where I give my overall opinion on a series and whether or not I think it's worth your time to watch it. So now that that's out of the way, let's deep dive into Sugumomo. Season 1 was released in 2017 by Studio Zero G. It has 12 episodes and comes in both sub and dub. I watched the series in sub and I am so grateful that I did. I just listened to a snippet of the dub and it sounded awful. As for how I discovered the series, continuing my streak of basicness, the poster looked interesting so I added it to my watch list. And of course it was then selected at random. The story follows Kazuyo Kagami, a schoolboy who while under attack by an unusual creature, is saved by a girl named Kiria, a girl who seemingly emerges from his backpack. Kazuya, unfamiliar with Kiria, is confused when she knows him by name. Kazuya and Kiria quickly develop a partnership as increasingly strange events begin happening around them. For a first impression of this series, I loved the animation of Kiria's entrance in the opening scene. When the cloth is rotating around her in all directions, it looked really good, and I couldn't help but compare it to like floral pattern toilet paper. At this point, I didn't know what was going on or what an obi was, but like, did anyone else's grandparents have that fancy toilet paper back in the day or am I just crazy? During my second viewing of this series for the review, I was like, man, I don't remember Kazuya's voice being this annoying. Why is it bothering me now? And well, that's because he is voiced by Yuko Sampai, the same voice actress as Boruto. I knew I recognized that annoying pitch from somewhere. Now, I understand Kazuya cherishing the obi as a keepsake from his mother, but having it in your school bag and like taking it out and smelling it, I mean, he's a teenager. That's something like a preschooler would do with like a blanket. It was a little weird in my opinion. And the ladies wanting a piece of Kazuya is a huge source of problems and some fights for him in this series. Kazuya gets taken advantage of by both Kiriha and Chisato. While he's incapacitated, if it was the other way around, this anime would have been banned. So Kiriha is a Sukumogami, derived from the obi Kazuya carries with him at all times as a token from his mother who passed away. A Sukumogami is an object that with time has developed a soul, allowing it to transform. At first I was like, why is Kiriha always on Kazuya with the sexual harassment and assault? And then I realized my man has been smelling her, holding her in his arms, sleeping in the same bed with her. And sure, he thought at the time she was just an inanimate object, but like, there's no excuse. He initiated the touchy-feely relationship. He did it to himself. As hard of a time we see Kiria give Kazuya, when he feels that people are being hurt because of him, she lets him know that she's always going to be by his side, and she really supported him in that moment when he needed her. Kiria also gave up her life for a long time due to Kazuya's spiritual energy being sealed away. You see that she actually sacrificed a lot for him and that she does really care about his well-being, but that doesn't stop the fun art style switches, to Kiria's face when Kazuya makes her angry. Uh, throughout the series, we see Kiria as a strong entity, but we didn't get to see her use her most powerful weapon. She only threatens to use it, the thousand years of death. If you've watched Naruto, you know why that's a dangerous technique. And I really enjoyed Kiria and Kazuya's partnership, especially in moments when she's been weakened and she's in her smaller form. He holds her hand like when they're walking out late at night like she's an actual child, but she's like this super powerful being. I thought that was really funny. I wanted to keep a little counter on some of the reoccurring themes in this season. Kiria has a sweet tooth, but her obsession with pudding is just unhealthy, 
Seven out of the 12 episodes had Kyria eating or obsessing over pudding. And I knew her love for it would be turned against her. She ends up having to do housework just to get it. Seven out of 12 episodes also has some sort of nude bathing scene in it. I remember after watching the first bath scene in episode one, messaging my boy Kaylee Kale, I was like, bro, she's out here making fun of his wiener. Holy crap, she just grabbed it. Like, I hadn't seen a show that looks like it's designed for children go so on the head with the naughty comedy. And man, did Kiriha abuse Kazuyo's sensitive area. Seven out of 12 episodes have her breach his no-no square. Like, Kazuya has zero chance of having children after this season. As for Kazuya's friends group, I mean, they're just a bunch of horny teenagers. Shiro needs a haircut, rocking that ride-in mop top from Metal Gear Solid 2. I mean, the first thing Shiro notices about Kokuyu is her rack size. And speaking of art style switch-ups on faces, Shiro turns into like an old man pervert when he's about to get his reward for paying for Kokuyu's food bill. And when Kokuyu has her wings out, she looks pretty damn identical to Akino from High School DxD. And look out for those reviews in the future. And Shiro's Malazan atonement smelling nasty after having all the girls on him for smelling nice. I thought that was good irony. And I must have been drunk watching this the first time. I did not realize what was happening when Kazuya had his like cologne in the bath. Three times, my boy. Three times. And it actually showed it. Like I must have hit my head and forgot about this scene because I did not remember it at all. It even shows it. I must have thought that it was like soap suds on my first viewing. Because watching that back now, I was like, I do not remember all this going on the first time I saw this show. His other friend, Osamu, like he's a freak too with his reference clothing he gives to Kazuya for Kiria, along with his passion for gal games. In our first introduction to Chisato, like, she seems like the straight-laced disciplinary girl who's just giving everyone a hard time, and how are you going to get mad at Kazuya for accidentally grabbing something that isn't even there in the first episode? Now, as for his family, this series was my first introduction to, like, the weird sibling undertones. I mean, let's just go down the list. Kasumi asked to bathe with her brother, she bursts into his room without warning, and it's like my boy from Rick and Morty told his dad, hey man, I'm a teenage boy, you know, I got a laptop in here, you come in here not knocking, you're really playing with fire, you might see something you're gonna regret. Though in her case, it would probably be the highlight of her week. I mean, she says she wants to show him the charms of an older woman, she tried to get Kazuya to stay in her room instead of sleeping with Kiria, and even if she was under the effects of the cologne, she participated in that bath orgy. As for Kazuya's dad, it seemed like the typical, the you know, the parental figure is always working or overseas shtick. So even in the first episode or two, it seemed like hiding Kiria was going to be some ongoing storyline. But then she just comes out and is like, oh yeah, I've already met your sister. I introduced myself to her. And the dad and her go like way back. They've known each other for years. I thought that was a great twist instead of having this ongoing like he's somehow been able to bathe, feed, and keep her hidden in his room all this time trope that you usually see like the dad just was like oh yeah we we go way back he was always fighting for Kazuya's mother's affection and Kiryo was always like blocking and hating on him and I'm surprised Kasumi and Kazuya were even born with the amount of blocking we see Kiryo doing and the poor dad even becomes curious putting Aaron boy at one point she pulls the old Orishura move using the old love letter to blackmail him so then we get to Sunao she is also a Malazan cleaner who uses a sword Sukumogami named Kotetsu Unlike Kiria and Kazuya, Sunao treats Kotetsu as like a tool, which eventually does come to bite her back in the ass. The hand-to-hand -hand fight between Kiria and Sunao is great. 
I loved how this show mixed like striking and grappling in its non-weapon based fights. Unfortunately, Kyria in her diminished form ends up on the losing side of this fight. And midway through the season, there wasn't a lot of action. The show just kind of went episode to episode doing like a random one-off adventure that never came back into play. So I was starting to get iffy with this series. I mean, I think her name was Taguri, exchanging money for perverted acts. Like that was just way out of left field. And like the intensity and effort they actually put into this episode was just wild. Like in Taguri's creepy hand animation, it didn't surpass, but it came close to rivaling Kazuma's from uh, Konosuba. The Sunao story is what brought me back on board with this series. Sunao has a grudge against Kazuya because his mother stole Sunao's chance to avenge her brother. So she focuses her anger on Kanaka, which as Kihira mentions is like the dumbest logic ever. Unfortunately, Kazuya's mother passed away before Sunao had the chance to properly take her on. So now not believing Kazuya's skills are worthy to succeed Kanaka. So now challenges him to a duel. And then I want to get into the fight scenes because they actually really surprised me in this series. An Amasagagi is an item that with enough willpower from human emotion can form into a creature void of sense or free will. Its only purpose is to grant its host desires most often through violent means. This makes the enemies in the series very wacky. I was thrown off by the action at first because any show can make like swords or axes, magical blasts or guns cool. And as magical as it may be, like Kazuya is basically fighting with a long piece of cloth. I love the creativity in which Kiria is used in the form of the Yobi, like how it exploded out almost like an airbag when he's pushed off the roof of the school. And I love the lighthearted banter even in battle, like Kiria saving Kazuya and then she puts him right back in danger, almost offering him to the hair monster after she feels disrespected by him. Then rolling the end of the Obi to simulate a fist for the Obi strike and whipping people down for the Obi slam, like the attacks and the imagination behind them were fantastic. And then Kirio is twirling and dancing as she dodges the wigs like spiked attacks. Like everything in this opening fight looked amazing. It really got me excited for what the show could do in future fights. And then we have the fight in the library. Chisito has a crush on Kazuya so much that her need to go to his house to study leads to an Amasagagi taking her desire and causing a huge fight in the library. Even when Kiria is fighting the books off the shelf in the magical library, like just the creativity is astounding. Spiral weave drilling through the doors, sledgehammer weave knocking the books down, she uses the shield weave, like the animation of the books flying around the room was great as well, and then the books come together to form like a Voltron monster, and Kiria just runs away from it. I was roaring at that scene. And the first person view running through the moving book maze, that looked really great as well. And this fight is just kind of our initiation, seeing how Emma Sagagi work and in which ways they can be defeated in the future. And this wasn't so much a fight, but the arm wrestling was like kind of a match between future friends. And as soon as Kiriha was like, move the desk, it's in the way. I was like, oh my God, like, what are we going to do with this? What does arm wrestling mean to them? But like, once again, all the strikes were really cool and Kiriha finishing off with a judo throw. It was just awesome. And then we have Kukuri versus Kiria at the shrine. I mean, the animation of the water pellets were great, and we see another new trick creating wings from the Obi to fly. Then Kukuri fakes out Kiria with the water clone. Then we have the big great storm clouds, the glob of water falling from the sky. Kiria has to use her ultimate defense, which pretty much shrinks her in the wash. And then we learn more about their power base and like how she's been depleted, so Kazuya will have to get stronger for her to grow back, kind of using him as a source of power. And I enjoyed that a vision from Kazuyo's mother gives him the advice needed to end the fight. I thought that was just another great battle. 
Now, before we get into this next battle, the guy who wants his club validated, his eyes are drawn like he's a Pokemon. I'm just saying, go check that out. Like he looks just like Charmeleon or something. So the Minotaur is by far the most ordinary and unimaginative monster we fight in the series. I really enjoyed the background guitar during this fight. And when Kazuya uses the fire extinguisher to erase the wall, and there's another one behind it, the first thing that came to my mind was, underneath the mask is another mask. And the Minotaur's crudely drawn floppy hand was like the highlight of this fight. There wasn't really much to this one, but like we see Kazuya training to pull the rock. It paid off because that's how he gets the fire extinguisher. And Osamu's dragon at the end was just fire, no pun intended. It looked really cool. And then we get to the final battle, which was by far the best. I mean, I love the strategy involved in the fight, explaining range, who has the advantage where, like that was all great. And Kazuya was smart right off the bat. Do the unexpected. She assumes that he will attempt to stay at range, but he closes the distance. Then he uses the first dummy as like a false read to lay a trap on the next attack. This was all great stuff. And regardless of Sunao's familiarity with Kanaka's techniques, she's not fighting her. She's against someone completely different. And then she's going to have to learn this the hard way because Kazuya came with a whole bunch of new fighting techniques. And as I kind of mentioned earlier, everyone uses swords. Like Kazuya and Kiria really have an easier time because parrying swords in defense against them is much more common knowledge than, you know, fighting a creatively used Obi. I really enjoyed how Sunao would block with the hilt's bottom of her sword. And Kotetsu mentions like feints. Like there were a lot of great technical terms in this series when it came to fighting. We also see Sunao switch up from doing power attacks to volume strikes, adapting to the situation. And I thought Kazuya was going to be a coward when he was hiding in the bushes, but then he starts like launching stone notes from an Obi crossbow. Like, just the creativity surpassed my expectations each time. Then Divine Possession came, the hair change, the Obi wrapping around his shoulders and arms like a muscle suit. This is when I was like, this series needs a second season right now. And as I said, Tsunao not treating her Sukumogami with respect, it led to her defeat and Kazuya's affinity towards them is the only reason he didn't completely destroy Kotetsu. And then if my man Kazuya wasn't trained enough, Kiriha took any spiritual energy he had left in that last episode, if you know what I mean. Hit it so good he blacked out. And I also saw the ultimatum come for Tsunao, it would either be kill or marry Kazuya, so hopefully we get to explore that in the second season. And as for how it ended, I did enjoy that it like left the story open for another season with Kiria joining school. Alright, now let's get into the nitpicks. Kasumi runs to Kazuya's aid as he screams in his room. But then 10 seconds later, he's yelling just as loud being spun around the room, then thrown face first into a wall creating a large thud noise. And she doesn't come back to check on him. Like, would you not come double check even if... He told you everything was fine. Like she later comments it was so disruptive that it was bothering the neighbors. Like why did you not go back up? The next is most anime does this at some point just to save on cost. But when Kokuyu is draining Shiro's wallet at the diner, the show keeps showing the same spoon to Mosin over and over at different speeds just to like simulate her eating a large amount of food. It's no big deal, but it was definitely noticeable that they just kept reusing the same loop. Then Kokuyu and Kiria getting into it at school. I feel like that just blew any secrecy of supernatural phenomenon existing. Like Kiria appears out of the backpack, starts showing her Obi arms off, and then they have a fight on the rooftop. Like, I would think they would try to keep their existence somewhat on the low. My next nitpick, this show encouraged one of my greatest fears. 
what if loved ones who have passed on watch over you like on a television screen? Like Kanaka did to Kazuyo, seeing all his shameful moments. Like, dear God, how embarrassing is that going to be? All right, so now we get to quote of the series. It was difficult to choose one. The series had a lot of inappropriate lines, but the winner goes to Asamu in the first episode. Getting lectured by a braided spectacled class representative, some of us would pay to experience that. I said it earlier, Kazuyo's friends are wild, but that line just got me for some reason. And I quickly wanted to touch on the opening track for this series. I just love it. It's really wacky. It fits the visual for the opening very well. It's fast paced and upbeat. And I don't know everything about music, but it like sounds like a like an electric keyboard going on in the background. It was really catchy. All right, now we get to Best Girl Waifu and Harem. Now, little Kiriha was adorable, but Best Girl is future Kiriha without a doubt. Even if she only blessed the screen for a brief moment, she was fine. Unfortunately, I can't give her waifu status, and also, there's no one in the show that I would add into my harem. Alright, now we get into final thoughts. Sugu Momo is a bit of a perverted action comedy. If you're looking for a compelling, mind-bending story, this show isn't that, but it's also not trying to be. It's fun. It's a good laugh with adorable and goofy characters. It has some really creative fights. I'd recommend Sugumomo if you're looking for something fun and light to watch over a weekend. And during my brush up for this review, I discovered season two has just been released. So look out for that review in the future. All right, that's going to be it for this week. Hope to catch you in the next one. Bye.